Good morning, church. Hasn't this been beautiful so far? Just beautiful. So encouraging. Welcome to you online today. We're so thrilled you've joined us as well. Happy to have you with us. Um, Pastor Christopher just mentioned Discover, which is the uh, orientation to our church, and that takes place next week. Don't confuse that, though, with uh, Disciple, which we're starting right now at 10 o'clock this hour. Uh, One of the best programs I've ever seen for establishing your faith and the basic foundations of the Christian faith, 12-week program. So if you were planning to do Disciple, and I hope some of you were, you should stand up right now and go to the auditorium just down, down the aisle here. So it's a great thing. There's about 50, 60 people in there right now. And that's about one-third of the number of people who should be. I'm not happy. So I want you to think about that. Maybe you can join, join, join it next week. It'll be great. Let me ask you a question. Any reason to be afraid or anxious these days? Concerned about the economy? The war in Ukraine? Do you think about your children? your grandchildren, and their future. You know, the world is a chaotic place right now. What about your health? All of us have had to think about our health in the last couple of years, one time or another. All kinds of reasons to be afraid in our world, isn't there? People are afraid of rejection. They're afraid of failure. They're afraid of leaving home, afraid of getting married. Apparently, there's fear there, or at least the loss of hope. More people cohabit now in the United States than are actually married. So people aren't afraid to cohabit, just afraid to get married. Interesting. Here's a legitimate fear. This is a fear that should actually keep us up at night, and the fear is simply missing God's best plan and purpose for your life. Failing to realize God's destiny for your life and flinging yourself into it, that should keep you awake. Lord, am I on Am I on course? Am I on target? Let me just remind you that in the story, there are five movements. If you understand and remember these five different aspects of the whole outline of the Bible, the first is paradise, a place called Eden. Adam and Eve were there. And this was God's original vision to be with people, you and me, the apple of his eye forever in loving community. Adam and Eve rejected God's plan and vision for people and his relationship. They were cast out of the garden and God then started a new plan to fulfill his vision. The nation of Israel was born. We find these unlikely characters, first Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, then Moses. We'll pick up the story with the the character of Joshua today. So the story of Israel and then the story of Jesus, remember that fellow, Jesus? We'll study him in the four gospels this fall. And then the story of the church, these are outlined as the followers of Jesus with with loving instructions from the apostolic epistles, the New Testament letters. And then finally, back to paradise, where the Bible suggests that once and for all, God is going to bring people, the highest order of his creation, the apple of his eye, back into fellowship with him, a place called heaven the new Jerusalem, the eternal kingdom. And God will have his way in all of these things. Today we pick up the story. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. 
They have spent about one year at Mount Sinai. They're in the Sinai Desert now. There's approximately 2 million of these people, Israelites in 12 tribes. Moses now sends a spy, a representative of each of the 12 tribes, and these 12 spies go into the land of Canaan to spy out the land. They have some adventures there. And they return to Moses and the people, and they say the land is flowing with milk and honey. That's pretty positive, isn't it? They brought some of the fruit with them. Then they said, but the people there are powerful. The cities are fortified. And the people are giants, physically large, daunting. The report of 10 of these spies, 10 of these 12 spies, they said the land we explored devours those living in it. Interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? The land devours people. So foreboding. All the people we saw are great size. We felt like grasshoppers in their sight. (laughs) Now, when you first read this story, you may have the impulse to go, what's wrong with those 10 spies? Why don't they trust God? I mean, God has miraculously pulled them out of slavery in Egypt, signs and wonders, these 10 plagues, and then the Red Sea parts. I mean, powerful miracles. You have, you have the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that is the physical manifestation of the presence of God for the people. I mean, it's lots of reason to think that God's with them. And so we tend to think poorly of these 10 spies who say, you know, the cities are too strong, the people are too big, we can't do it. I uh, had a change of opinion about these 10 spies uh, way back uh, during my college basketball career. I played at Valparaiso University for four years. Back in the day, this is back just uh, after the Civil War. And (laughs) peach basket. Um, And my first college game was against Notre Dame in South Bend at the Joyce Center there, about 9,500 people. The place was packed. The place was buzzing. Uh, And the reason for that is because Digger Phelps, who was the coach of Notre Dame at the time, I've taken some of you old people back now a a few years. Digger Phelps was the coach at Notre Dame. Digger got his name, his nickname, because he was the son of a funeral director. You can imagine the rest of the story. So Digger Phelps has a fabulous team assembled They are ranked number three in the country preseason. So they're as good or better than anyone else in the country. And they have some athletes. And all of these athletes, at least the starting lineup, they had a nickname. So, for example, the center at the time was John Shoemate, and his nickname was The Shoe, because it rhymes with his last name, so that when he's announced at the beginning of, of the contest, 10,000 people can go shoe, John the shoe, shoe mate. You know, and the, and the MC is jazzing this all up, and I mean, it's, and lights are flashing. I mean, it's a big deal. Dwight Clay was the point guard on this team, and he, his nickname was the Magician, which was an appropriate name because uh, trying to guard him, I realized that his, the way he could handle the basketball was magical and hard to imagine. One of the forwards on the starting lineup of Notre Dame that year was a was an, a freshman. So I'm a freshman. He's a freshman. He came out of New Jersey. Uh, big black kid, 6'5", 240 pounds. His name was Adrian Dantley. And I just thought, well, okay, big deal. 
you know, and it's another big guy. You know, I'm, I'm, at the time I was 6'4 and 200 pounds. And so, you know, he's 6'5, 240. He thought, can't be that much different. It's a huge difference, as it turns out. <laughs> and so their team, you know, you, you announce the starting lineup and the, and the guys trot out, you know, a few feet in front of their bench, you know, and that's kind of thing. This didn't happen at Notre Dame that day. They all went out to center court. So the, the center is announced and Shoemate bounces out there and John Shoemate's 6'9 and he is a beast. Six, he's not just 6'9 and lumpy. He is a monster. He can run faster than everybody else, jump higher than everybody else and he's 6'9. It's not right. He goes out there and then the whole team and then Dwight Clay goes bouncing out. He's the last one and he just, he literally jumped on top of the pile. He's on top of these guys, surfing, body surfing on top of his teammates. It's amazing. It is so compelling. It is so exciting. I am just enthralled. This is my first, I thought, man, this is going to be a great, great experience, this college thing. This is going to be wonderful. And I'm just caught up in the moment. I'm following their team back to their bench just before Digger sends them out. And then I look down at my team. Oh, no, 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 this is not going to work, no, oh, no, we are like grasshoppers <laughs> in their sight. The coach in the pregame, this is the same Notre Dame team that had defeated UCLA, the, the vaunted Johnny Wooden UCLA teams back in the day. And UCLA at one point won 88 straight games, 88 games in a row, until they went to South Bend and Notre Dame just months before this, the end of the prior season, and Notre Dame snapped their 88-game winning streak. This is Bill Walton, Sidney Wicks, those guys at UCLA. And now we're in the locker room, same locker room. And I'm thinking, man, this is so cool. This is so great. Coach, coach walks in, you know, he's, uh, he's going to give us the pregame pep talk. And, and, he's, and he says, boys, he said, men, he said, Notre Dame puts their pants on the same way you do, one leg at a time, just like that. And then he got this twinkle on his eye and he said, it just takes them longer to pull them up. <laughs> so helpful. So encouraging. Coach doesn't believe it either. We got... Let me just cut to the chase. We got smashed. We got hammered. We got, this, I've been, I've been in hundreds and hundreds of athletic contests back in the day. It was the worst experience I've ever had. We got flattened like a pancake. It was just, oh, it was overwhelming. Very intense. When I finally got in the game, Adrian Dantley you, most of you don't know that name, Adrian Dantley. He's a freshman guy. So I ended up, I, I find myself guarding him for a moment. And what Adrian Dantley did to me that day changed my worldview. <laughs> you know that, that phrase, all men are created equal? What a joke. What a joke that is. That's not even, that's not even close to true. If you believe that, pff, I got some land I want to sell you. It's not, it's just not true. Who knew it was Adrian Dantley? Adrian Dantley ended up scoring 23,000 points in the NBA. He's an NBA Hall of Famer. I just thought he was a big black kid from New Jersey. <laughs> no, he's a world-class athlete. And treated me like... 
like the poor, pitiful person I am. <laughs> it was something. Anyway, I understand these 10 spies. But listen to what Joshua and Caleb did. These are the two who had a, a good report. They said, we were among those who had explored the land, and they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Now, listen to their phraseology. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of people. That's so, that's so helpful. Because we will devour them. He turned the phrase right around, didn't he? The land devours the people. He said, no, no, we're going to devour the people in the land because the Lord is with us to give us help. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. We should not be afraid. That's a good word, isn't it? Isn't that a great word? Listen, we have to decide every day. You do, I do, and sometimes several times a day, we have to decide whether we're going to go through the world in fear and anxiety or we're going to go through the world facing the future with faith and confident trust in God. Amen. Have to decide. Joshua and Caleb saw the fortified cities. They laid eyes on those. They saw the giants. They also saw something else. They saw God. They didn't look at the size of the problem, size of their enemy, size of the giant, size of the obstacle. They looked at the size of their God. And friends, that's a choice all of us can make. Every day and multiple times a day. There is the lower story we've been describing and an upper story. The lower story, we have giants in our lives. We identify with that. All sorts of giants that constantly threaten us. But on the other hand, there's an upper story going on in our lives, just as was true in their lives. There's a God who has been at work throughout history, and we can track him. And what we can discover about this God is he is faithful to all of his good promises. He has been an anchor for our souls, those of us who have placed our trust in him. And he is a foundation upon which we stand, an unshakable place if we'll stand there. He's a good and faithful God. Joshua and Caleb said, the Lord is with us. Let's not be afraid of them. Amen. The Israelites, of course, then fail the test. If you read chapter 7 of the story, you know that they believed the bad report and they said to Moses, we're not doing it. We're not going. And God judges them for it. So everyone over 20 years old in the tribe would spend the next 40 years perishing in the wilderness. That entire generation of Israelites passed from the scene. The last of the generation that hesitated to trust God by taking the land of promise all died in the wilderness. Moses lived for 120 years. His life was in three segments, 40 years. He was born in Egypt, raised in Pharaoh's house. The next 40 years he spent in the wilderness of Midian, tending sheep, and the last 40 years after the deliverance of the people out of Egyptian bondage, he spent in the desert of Sinai. Moses dies at 120 years old. Joshua becomes the newly appointed leader. And Joshua, by this time, remember he was one of the two faithful spies, he and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is appointed the new leader, and he is about 75, 76, 77 years old. He's in his late 70s. When he starts his ministry... How many of you are 70 years old and you don't mind us or older in the room? 
My hand's not up, sorry. <laughs> not yet. That's when he started his ministry. Let's let that soak for a minute. And they spend 40 years in this wilderness. By the way, you can fly over the Sinai Desert in about two hours. You can drive across the desert of Sinai in the right vehicle today in about two days. You can walk across the desert of Sinai in about two weeks if you're properly hydrated. They wander in that sand for 40 years. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and following. We pick up the story. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a pretty good pep talk, isn't it? Two points today, one word each. Here's the first one, courage. Everyone say courage. 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 Look at verses 7 through 9 of Joshua 1. So God's speaking to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. He's talking about the law of Moses. He said, talk about it. Think about it. Share it with your family. Share the stories of your faith. Stay focused. Be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. People in my, in my, in my world that I've observed over 50 years of following Jesus who want to be prosperous, who want to be successful, but won't follow the rules, won't follow the word, won't submit to God's will and ways. Why can't I be successful and prosperous? Because you're not paying attention. There are qualifiers, there are conditions to God's blessing in your life. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now let's get, get through the list of promises here. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Obey my law and you'll be prosperous and successful. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now that's, that's an amazing list of promises. How encouraging. And God's trying to pump this boy up. Joshua now is coming into his own leadership and the primary phrase and word that God gives to Joshua and indeed to all of us is only be strong and courageous. It takes courage to do this thing. And so every day we are called to face our fears. Every day we need courage. We need courage to seek the help we need. Everyone at one time or another needs help. It takes courage to ask for help, doesn't it? The deeper the problem, the more courage required 
to seek the help you need. We need courage sometimes to end a relationship that we know God is not blessing. It takes courage to break it off. Courage to speak to your boss or to a close friend about a sensitive subject. It takes courage to resist the temptations to do and say all the things your immediate friends are doing. It takes courage to look at your friend and say, look, I love you, you're my friend, but I can't keep doing this. I'm not, I'm not gonna be a party to this behavior. It's just not right. Can't do it. Takes courage. Takes courage to be baptized. You may not realize this, but Union Chapel, we're baptizing people every month this year. Every month we're gonna we're baptizing people. <laughs> and and we just want to baptize, we want to get as many people wet as we possibly can. That's our goal. And uh, in April, we're going to baptize people on Easter Sunday. Maybe you're a person who would like to work up the courage necessary to do It takes courage to do that, right? It takes courage to let others know that you're a follower of Jesus. It takes courage to do that. We all need to be strong and courageous. So the Hebrew word for courage literally means to show yourself as strong. It's a test of strength. So we ask, am I a strong person? Am I being courageous in my life, in my faith? Am I living honorably in a courageous way for Jesus' sake? Or am I easy to buckle or to cave in or to give in to temptation and fear? Let me just remind you again, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in school. The Lord is with you at work. The Lord is with you in your family. The Lord is with you wherever you go. This is the promise of God, the good promises of God, the good promises of a faithful God who will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Let me give you a few definitions of courage today. Here's the first one. Put it on the screen for you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is moving forward in spite of fear. Again, Joshua and Caleb were aware of the opposition but chose to trust God to overcome. Do you remember how the people responded? If you read chapter 7, you'll know. The, the, the way the people responded to the courage and faith of Joshua and Caleb was to tell them, sit down and shut up or we will stone you to death. It's one thing to face opposition as a leader. It's another thing when people want you dead. I, I'm resisting right now to share any personal anecdotes about that. <laughs> Only half joking. Here's a second definition of courage. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is actually fear that has said its prayers. We say, God, this is too big for me. I need your help. We pray, God, I don't want to talk to my boss about these things. God, I don't know what to say to my wayward child. So they cross the Jordan River. The priests are ordered, instructed by the Lord to go first. So the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. Remember this wooden box, four feet long, two and a half feet deep with a lid with angels on the top, the mercy seat contained therein are the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments and there are, there are rings on each corner and the, the priests would slide poles and carry the ark on their shoulders. This was the prescribed method to transport the symbolic presence of God. And Joshua says to the priest, load up the ark, and the ark goes first. Joshua chapter 3, we pick up the story. Look on the screen. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. 
Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now, this is fascinating because the, the Jordan, which is not a, a, a big river, it's not that far across, but this time of the season, this time of year, the waters were up and the water was flowing and it was rushing. And so the priests, you know, they're about to step into something. I mean, you can't get 2 million people across this river without casualties because of the water. And the priests now are ordered to be the first ones through. And I, you can imagine the priest carrying the ark, walking up to the edge of the river going, I sure hope this ark will float because I'm going to need something to grab onto and we get swept downstream. And as soon as they touch the water with their feet, you know, they just put their toes in and the water stops because God has it piled up, dammed up, upstream. It's an amazing moment, another miraculous moment. And of course, there's an easy application here, isn't there? Anyone now, any of you can teach the point of, of that moment. It's pretty obvious. Let me just say it this way. Sometimes God's miracles don't come until we first exercise our faith. You okay with that? We take the first step and then God responds. We step out in faith, and then the miracles of God follow. This is the way it works, by the way. We walk by faith, miracles follow. Tonight, uh, our junior, senior high ministry is doing an annual event they call Glow. It's a big party. You should come. You should send your kids. It's great. Lots of fun. There'll be a brief message, and it'll be great. Lots of pizza. Years ago, uh, we asked the question, how can we more effectively reach junior, senior high kids? We found this ministry called 180, and our junior high, senior high ministry has been called 180 ever since. And what is now our chapel and counseling center, that building, we originally converted into a youth facility to accommodate the, the, the philosophy of 180. And before we had one more student than we had before, we invested as a church $300,000 in renovating that building in order to accommodate this new youth program. So before we had one new student, we were investing $300,000. And people would line up after, after this conversation with everyone and look at me and say, are you sure this is going to work? And I would say, nope, not sure. Think it will. Sure hope it will. Sure hope it works. Well, do you think it's wise to invest $300,000 in something that you don't even know is going to work? And I said, I know, I, I know what will happen if we don't invest $300,000. What's happening is what we can expect to keep happening if we don't do something different. And not reaching a generation of young people is not an option. So we stepped out in faith. And we spent months preparing this building, spent all this money. And the first night we opened 180, it got overrun with students. It was too small. It was inadequate. I went home that night depressed. I went home and said, what, what a small-minded, small-hearted, small-faith person am I? 
$300,000 for a building that is totally inadequate for what God had in mind. Over the course of the next 12 years or so, we had 100,000 different kids attend our youth program. We baptized over 1,200 teenagers in those years. Amazing. This building, this building was originally constructed primarily for, the, for use with our youth program. This whole building, 40,000 square foot building. That's why there's a gymnasium in here. We did the same thing about 27 years ago when we took members of our church, members of our staff and members of our congregation, teamed them up and sent them to Central Asia, to a small village there, a traditionally Muslim people group. And so we sent them there in the middle of nowhere. We risked the lives of our dear friends and colleagues to send them, send them to in the middle of nowhere. It, it, look, it looked like the Wild West from 175 years ago. No reasonable medical care or infrastructure of any sort. And so what we've seen in the last 27 years is miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle because we stepped out in faith. It cost a lot. It was painful. It was sacrificial. People who, people who went long-term paid a, a significant price. People who went short-term also. So let me make this conclusion. I'll put this on the screen. The reason most Christians and most churches never see a Bible-sized miracle is because they never exercise enough faith or take a big enough risk to need one. But to walk by faith, that takes courage. You discern the will of God, and then you fling yourself into it. And God looking, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking people whose hearts are totally for him. And when he finds such a people, he will release his miraculous provision. It's amazing. This is how you want to live. Only be strong and courageous. God said to Joshua three times, only be strong and courageous. Here's a lesson of leadership, friends. One of the important lessons of leadership. Listen, if you're a leader, listen. If you flinch, you're dead. Period, stop. Don't flinch. Can you see Joshua in his tent with his wife at night going, gee, I'm not sure I can do this. When surveys are taken of senior leaders and senior, people in senior, senior uh, levels of leadership, chief executive officers and so forth, when surveys are taken of these men and women, the one thing that always rises to the top of the survey is, I feel inadequate for the job. But you wouldn't know it because most of them have learned the lesson if you flinch, you're dead. Someone came up to me years ago when we first purchased this whole campus here. It was a used car lot, and it was, a, it was deplorable. I mean, the roof was caving in, the windows busted out, volunteer trees growing in the parking lot. We bought this thing. We're going to make it into a church. Someone walked up to me, and we just borrowed a lot of money to fix up the buildings. And someone walked up to me, and they looked at me, and they put their finger 
<laughs> they put their finger on me. She's pretty short. She reached up and put her finger on my chest like that. And she said, we're going to, the summary was, we're going to follow you and, and, and borrow all this money, but you better know what you're doing. <laughs> Just like that. I reassured her. I looked her right in the eye. God is with us. This is great. God's going to, you, you'll, you'll see God's going to provide. It's going to be so great, so good. And I turned around and walked away from her and I went, who knows what they're doing? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing either. So don't look at me like you know what you're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Never done this before. How can you know what you're doing? <laughs> Everyone say courage. courage. One more time. Courage. courage. Yeah. What is God asking you to do right now that will allow you to face your fears? You know what they are. You know the giants in your life. What is God asking you to do in a courageous way to face into those fears? And this is all followed in Joshua's life by an extensive military campaign. Jericho's the first encounter, this, this fortified, this walled city, and this amazing story about marching, marching around this thing, and then the walls falling down, just amazing. And then, then they encountered the city of Ai, and then various city-states and tribal peoples. At one point, a confederation of five kings get together and say, if, if, we, if we muster all of our troops together as one, maybe we can slow down the Israelites as they're coming to, to take, take over the land. The majority of the book of Joshua is about the military campaign that was overwhelmingly successful. Uh, let me stop right there, just hit pause for a second. You notice these lights coming off, on and off sometimes, almost every week now? We have a phenomenon going on, uh, on, on, in, our, on in this building, on this campus. We do not know what's, what's causing it. We've talked to the utility company. We've paid a lot of money to electrical professionals to sort this out. We have, we have a breaker board, of course, with, these, with the circuits, and these breakers just indiscriminately pop. We'd, it's not the same ones every time, just like different ones at different times, unpredictably. And we don't know why, and no one can tell us why. We don't know what the problem is. So I mention this because there may be someone here who knows the answer. <laughs> if you think you know the answer, talk to the guys in the sound booth before you leave, okay? We'll pay you if you actually know the answer because we're at the end of it. We don't, we don't know if it's a, a natural phenomenon or it's just the devil messing with us. We don't, because it's mysterious. We don't know what happens. So, you know, the, the lights go off and, you know, we go back and push the breaker back in and it may stay on for the next three weeks and then it may go off at some moment. The good news is that the sound system keeps working. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, you may have noticed, as you read chapter 7, that this military campaign was brutal. It was, frankly, disturbing. God would tell Joshua, go into Ai kill everybody. Kill everybody. I remember this is 3,400 years ago. No one was wearing what would Jesus do bracelets. This is a, this is a barbaric time. And so people wonder, how does, this, how does this fit into the God that we know from the New Testament? 
and the God of grace and mercy that, we, that appeals to us? What, how, what's going on here? I think the best answer to that is to remind ourselves that God told Abraham, remember the original father, back in Genesis 15, way back, God told Abraham that when your descendants take the land of promise, he said the people, and he named them as Amorites, the people living in the land will have experienced, listen to this now, will have experienced, and I quote, their full measure of sin. So God told Abraham, when your people eventually take the land, the people who inhabit the land will have experienced their full measure of sin and my judgment will come against them. Whoa. Apparently, in the economy of God's judgment, it's possible to fill up some kind of container only God can see until it's completely full of rebellion and sin. And at that point, judgment comes. Let me just remind you of something, friends. This won't be the last time that God dramatically judges and ultimately separates people based on their relationship with him. I said this a few weeks ago. I'll say it again. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming to the world. Judgment is coming to the nations, including the United States. And judgment is coming to every individual, you and me. We will all stand before God one day and give an account. Judgment is coming. Heads up. Here's a second definition of courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment, the third definition, rather the the judgment that something else is more important than fear. You've heard me say you can't fear, fear two things equally at the same time because you can't. It's not possible. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., perfect example. Here's a guy who was the iconic leader of the civil rights movement back in the 1960s in this country, a a period of righteous activity for justice for minorities in this country. You remember his great I Have a Dream speech on the Washington Mall. In that speech, you may remember some of the phrases he used when he said, longevity of life has its place. You know, it's a a good thing when people live a full life. And then he he expressed this premonition that he had. I'm not likely to live a full life. He was right, wasn't he? He never used these terms, but but he realized that it was likely he would be martyred for being on the point of this movement, as indeed he was. But here's an example of someone who didn't have the absence of fear because I'm sure he feared dying as a young man as much as anyone would. But there was something else more important than the fear in his life, so he kept going. How admirable is that? That's courageous. That's courage. Another name in history that that you may not be familiar with is William Wilberforce. Wilberforce lived in the 18th century in Great Britain where slavery was still legal in that country, and he worked tirelessly and fearlessly for years and years as an abolitionist against legalized slavery. By the way, Wilberforce and our father in the Methodist movement, John Wesley, they were contemporaries and they were friends. They often worked together on this cause. And Wilberforce, because of his efforts, 
his tenacity, his courage, saw the end of legalized slavery in Great Britain. It's an amazing, an amazing miracle, an amazing testimony of strong and courageous in the face of all kinds of opposition. So, so impressive that Great Britain actually beat us to this godly conclusion a hundred years before America. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than the fear. Here's the last point I want to make today. The first point was courage. Here's the last point, and it's conviction. Everyone say conviction. You and I make decisions multiple times every day based on the convictions that we hold about, about life and about God and about relationships. We all have a value system, a filtering system through which we process decisions. And the conviction we have about those kinds of issues will determine the nature of the decision we make. Conviction is a powerful, powerful force in the world. And I could argue that there has never been any human being who's ever lived that made a difference in the world who didn't live their life with great conviction. And God calls us to be men and women that hold to these convictions. Joshua now comes to the end of his life. He has saw the hand of God in his life faithful to all of those promises he made to him. Everywhere the sole of your feet tread, I'm going to give you that land. That happened. No one will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That happened. All of the land that I promised you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will be prosperous and successful. All of those things happened in the life of Joshua. And now he comes to the end of his days and he wants to make one more appeal to the people of God. He's near death and this is his speech, Joshua 24. Look at it on the screen. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is a powerful speech reflecting the conviction, the great conviction that Joshua had about his life and faith. And he admonished the people to live with the same conviction. Now, here we have an, an opportunity in our culture and times to make the application of this admonition. We live in a time when people are drifting away from the faith. Deconstruction is happening in the lives of millions of people in the Western cultures. Someone said that people are, people are leaving the church, but they don't know where they're going. So we live in this post-Christian, post-modern culture that impugns and castigates and questions and diminishes and impugns the traditional faith of Christianity. Christian people, good Christian people, are ridiculed and, and silenced and canceled. Happens all the time, every day. And so here we are. Paul warned Timothy about such a day. He said it this way, look on the screen, 2 Timothy 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 
correct rebuke and encourage with great patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now listen to your pastor for a moment. We are giving witness in 2020 in the United States and many parts of the world where this prophecy from the Apostle Paul to the young, to the young uh, Timothy is coming to pass. We are seeing this in many, many places. Most, if not all, of the mainline denominational, historic denominational churches in America are compromised, starting with the leadership of those churches, where men and women now have chosen to lay aside the undefiled gospel of Jesus Christ and to preach other gods and to suggest other idols and other ways that you can manage to find a relationship with God. It is apostate. It is heretical. In many parts, it is preaching the doctrine of demons. And people are flooding out of churches because of it. Deconstructing the faith. Anyone with a, an ability to exercise any level of critical thinking, when they hear a Christian leader go, well, you know, listen, I know that for 2,000 years in the history of the Christian faith, Christians have believed these things as high point markers. These, are the, these have been the, the, the points of doctrine that are, are irrefutable. No one has challenged these points of doctrine for 2,000 years. This is the faith once delivered to the saints. And now Christian leaders are going, but we know better. We're smarter than anyone who's ever lived. We're more evolved. We're more sympathetic. And so it doesn't really matter if you believe all of these points relative to historic doctrine and traditional belief. These are the new options available to you. And people with critical thinking listen to them and they go, what is the matter with them? They don't even have the conviction of the faith that they profess to believe. And so people find hypocrisy in that. Folks who are actually preaching the doctrine of demons in today's culture actually think that if they're open-minded and open-hearted and their doors are open to anyone and everyone, no matter what you believe or how you practice your life, that that will be invitational and that will be attractive to people. Just the opposite is true. People are still looking for the truth and people are looking for people who have a conviction about the truth and are willing to share it in loving ways. And so listen to me. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Everyone else can walk away, but I'm not walking away. Everyone else can compromise the message. You're looking at a boy who's not going to compromise the message. I reserve the right to be wrong about everything, but we'll let God judge between me and you. I'm not, I'm not backing off of the faith once delivered to the saints, and neither should you. There are voices in our culture today, prophetic voices that are saying in, the, in these last days, God's going to send a, a worldwide revival and lots of people are going to come to faith. The only, and I hope that's true. You know, I want to believe that. You know, that's encouraging. That's exciting. Here's the problem. The Bible doesn't teach such a thing. The Bible actually teaches that there's going to be a great falling away, that the hearts of people who know Jesus Christ, their hearts will grow cold, wax cold, and they'll drift away. And we're seeing that happen right now. 
And so I'm speaking for myself. As for me and my house, we will serve God. And listen to me. I'm calling you to a conviction to follow Jesus no matter what. Don't you drift away. Don't you be deceived. Don't you get distracted. And don't leave the faith. You stay fastened safe to the anchor the anchor of your soul, who is Jesus Christ. Let the voices rage. Let the culture slip away. Let the world go to hell. But you decide not to go. Follow Jesus. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve God. I invite you to serve God. Are you with me? Are you with me in this? Are you with me? Beth and I have been talking about this for, for several months now. You know, we started, we had a handful of people out in the cornfield, and that's when we started preaching. And I preached the same way then as I do now. And I discovered that people actually want to follow Jesus, and they want to do it wholeheartedly. And I encourage you to come along and stay faithful, because knowing Jesus matters. So when God looks over the landscape of this area of the country, here in East Central Indiana, because the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, when he goes over the landscape of this area, he is going to find faithfulness and he's going to find it right here. Praise God. So there are only two ways to face the future, friends. You can face it in fear and anxiety, or you can face, face it in confident trust, courageous faith, in the God who promised as he began a good work in you to be faithful to complete it. He is a reliable God. Trust in him. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence, for your word, for this wonderful model and the person of Joshua who represents for us what strong and courageous looks like. Help us to follow. Help us to follow. Help us to follow, we pray. In Jesus' name. And the people said, would you stand?